I'm going to invite uh, Jane to come up and read, and uh, Stephen's going to, uh, to come and preach. Father God, thank you for Stephen and Jane. Thank you for their faithfulness. Thank you for the preparation that they've put in. And just ask you to bless them now as they lead us in the giving of the word. In Jesus' name. Amen. Parable of the Sower. On that day, Jesus went out of the house and was sitting by the sea, and large crowds gathered to him. So he got into a boat and sat down, and the whole crowd was standing on the beach. And he spoke many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, the sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell beside the road, and the birds came and ate them up. And others fell on the rocky places, where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up, because they had no depth of soil. But when the sun had risen, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. And others fell among the thorns, and the thorns came up and choked them out. And others fell on good soil, and were yielding a crop. Some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. Thank you, Jane. Now, of course, in the parable of the sower, what we're talking about really is almost three parables in one, um, and it's been called the parable of the sower, the parable uh, of the seed, and the parable of the soil. I've actually split that into three separate um, sermons, and so um, I'm going to concentrate just on the parable of the sower this morning. Uh, and the parable of the seed I'm going to do next month when I'm, when I'm speaking. So the uh, <coughs> sower, of course, uh, in Matthew's Gospel, which Jane just read for us, we're actually talking about Jesus. Of course, now um, the parable <clears throat> actually refers to anybody that preaches God's word, that speaks God's word, that speaks to neighbors, friends. Um, you are then the sower of seed. Of course, the seed is God's word uh, and the soil other relative people that it's sown on. So as Jane was reading, we've got the soil that fell by the side of the road, we've got the soil that fell on the rocky ground, fell amongst thorns, but then fell on the good soil. So those are people. So when we're talking about that, something um, to bear in mind. So I'm just going to show you two very, very short videos first, um, and then we'll continue from there. In the first video, just have a look at the number of police officers um, <clears throat> that are present in this video. And almost the callousness um, and the disrespect um, that, that they show. Thank you, <laughs> 
I've got everything on video out here, so the way of treating it. I think it's unbelievable. Now, some of the um, sound wasn't too clear on that, um, but this this is an elderly man. I mean, he's been preaching there in that town centre for like 25 years. Um, now, some people think perhaps street preaching is something that's not relevant for today, and there's different views on that, but, but whatever the views might be, this is a man who was just preaching God's word, and um, he'd been accused of hate crime, um, and you couldn't hear it in there, but that's what that um, female police officer was saying. You're, you're committing a hate crime. Uh, and the other bigger police officer was actually saying to this elderly man, you come down or I'm going to pull you down. And then he just dragged him down and you saw the way he marched him off. I mean, this is an elderly man. And all he was doing was preaching um, God's word. Um, can we just have a second video, please? Okay. Religion you're allowed to do anywhere. No, miss. You're not going to sing. You are. You are. Outside of church grounds, by the way. You're not allowed to sing church songs outside of the church. You're not allowed. You're not allowed. She just said you're not allowed to sing church songs outside of church. Our church outside the church grounds, unless you have a, a national order of rights, are you saying that you don't care about the human rights at your loss? Ah! <laughs> that, that was this way, wasn't it? Yeah. 
I don't know whether to laugh or weep when I see that female police officer. Uh, I mean, again, she was saying to this, this, this lady, her name's Harmony London, she's a lovely lady, she sings, she has a little keyboard, and she's at Oxford Street quite regularly. She's got an absolutely amazing voice, and again, she's been singing there for a long time. That's all she's doing is singing gospel songs, and yet this um, you know, female police officer comes up and starts to harass her, and she's not allowed to sing um, Christian songs outside church. You know, you, you can't sing outside church premises. So, again, that's not the official police line, but of course she was totally confused as to what she was saying. But it shows you the way that Christianity uh, today, um, people don't understand it, and, and there's a whole different view. Whereas once it was respected, and uh, you know, we would sort of deal with at least respectfully, um, everything uh, has actually changed. And I could have shown you many, many, many examples. That's just two. Um, there's one uh, that's just recently been in the news. The High Court of Held. That it actually is a, a criminal offence to pray, even silently, or to read your Bible within 150 metres of an abortion centre uh, in Bournemouth. Uh, and there's now some legal discussion as to whether that should extend to inside church or inside your house. So if it does go that far, even if you're praying in your house against abortion <coughs> and you're within that zone, you're actually committing a criminal offence. So we're actually coming down that uh, you know, road now. We're actually we're, we're considered as, as criminals, and and I guess um, that was always going to be. So we're talking about the sower going out to sow, and I think we have to be aware that if you are actually going to sow seed, you are going to offend people, and you're going to upset many many people. I've been reading a, a lot recently of some of the old Puritan. Writers and preachers, and there's a, uh, a wonderful man um, called Richard Baxter. And taking some inspiration from what he was saying, I was thinking, what if today, what if now is the very last time that I would ever preach? The very last time that I could ever speak God's word. If after I finish today, I'll be standing before God and giving an account of my life and what I've said. Would that change the way that I speak and would it change the things that I say? What if I spoke as a dying man to a dying world? What if I pleaded with sinners and pleaded the case for evangelical faith? Would that change anything? Would that change the way that I spoke? You see, this morning for me, this isn't an opportunity just to have a chat. This isn't just an opportunity to give some jokes and give some feel-good factors. Because this is about your life. This is about our lives. It's about the lives of our friends. And it's about the lives of our families. We live in such a messed up world and we heard the prayer just now about the problems across the world. It is a time of upheaval, and it's a time of turmoil, and the old certainties of society that we relied on and we accepted just seem to have been swept away uh, in the last decade hugely. We can't take the acceptance of anything that we looked on as the norms anymore. We are in the eye of the storm, but the eternal truth of God still stands, and amongst all of that, we have to remember God is sovereign. And nothing happens in this world unless he wills it. 
And we can take comfort from that when we see the vast edifices around us falling. You look at the churches now, great institutions that once stood. I was looking at some figures just recently, and they've got what they call the extinction factor. And it showed the number of the declines of the mainstream churches across the last 50 years. And if we continue on that line as we are now, all of the mainstream churches, and that includes us as Baptists, will be extinct in 70 years. There are some churches, some of the smaller Welsh denominators, they're looking at an extinction factor. In 30 years, they will no longer be. And of course, we know that God can override everything. But you've only got to look around. And you know it breaks my heart when I walk up Queen Street and I see that church there that, again, has been there since the 1700s. It had a congregation of a thousand at one time. And now it's empty and it's damp and it's just desolate and there's no longer prayers there. But the tragedy of it isn't the buildings. There are buildings all around. There was a lovely church that I knew in Grays. It's a car park now. They turned into houses for wealthy people that buy them. But it's about the people. It's not about the buildings. The closure of the buildings is just a symptom. It's not the issue. God is the only desirable good. Nothing without him is worthy of our hearts. The life, the glory, the blessedness, the soul-satisfying goodness that is in God is beyond all expression. And that is what Charles Spurgeon said, who was the founder of the Baptist Church. And so time, my friends, is short. We sometimes think we have all the time in the world, and that's why I thought, what if today this was my last time ever to preach the word of God? How would I preach? John Wesley, he and his brother Charles wrote so many hymns Lord knows where most of them are now. They wrote like 6,500 in their lifetime. And John Wesley wrote this. He said, I am a creature of a day. I'm like an arrow passing through life, an arrow in the air. And in a few moments hence, I drop into eternity. I stand now on this vast gulf, and I want to know one thing. I want to know Christ. I want to know how I get to heaven. I want to know how I land safely on that happy shore. And that's the job of the sower of the seed that all of us are called to do. That's the great commission that Christ calls us to, not just to be in our churches. And it's great to get together. Of course it is. We need to be happy in Christ. It's great to praise. It's great to worship. But if that's it, do we just stay in? Do we go out? We can't all stand up and preach on soapboxes or what have you. We can't all speak to huge congregations. Like Charles Spurgeon, he speak to 10,000 people in his church. But we can all speak to our friends, we can speak to family. We can actually be the sowers of that seed. Jeremiah, known as the weeping prophet. If ever you've read the, the book of Jeremiah, it's hard sometimes to distinguish, especially when you follow the commentaries, whether it's God speaking or whether it's Jeremiah speaking. And sometimes God weeps within that book. And Jeremiah was telling the people at the time, and this was the northern kingdom of Judah, it was about 600 years ago. 
And Jeremiah was told by God to warn the people because they had become apostate. They turned away from God and they were doing things like worshipping idols. And if you look at our world today, that's very much where we are. And idols don't need to be stone effigies and things. Idols can be anything that is bigger and more important for us than our God. But they didn't listen. And it's very much the same today because all of us, we want to hear what we like and what we want to hear. We don't always want to hear what we need to hear. And so they ignored him because people were saying at that time, ignore that man, he's a false prophet. You won't go into exile. God loves us. God is with us. And of course, they went into exile for 70 years. They told Jeremiah to shut up and to be quiet. They didn't want to hear what he had to say. And it won't take long to speak to people um, in, in the village or wherever you are to find out that that's exactly the same attitude today. People don't want to be told. People don't want to hear. And that is understandable. You're driving along in your car and you get pulled over by a police officer and you're told you're driving too fast, you've gone through a red traffic light. I tell you from experience, no matter how nice you are, no matter how polite you are, no matter how much you try, they're not going to like it. I've yet to have someone say to me, well, thank you very much, officer, for pointing out my deficiencies. And then, of course, we come along as Christians and we say to people, you need Christ in your life. That's wrong. That's wrong. You need Christ, and that's the only way to salvation. There aren't lots of roads to God. I've heard that so many times. There's many paths to God. The Christian Bible tells us there is one way to God, and that is Christ. That is the only way. And if you tell people that, they will be very offended, because that isn't the tone of the world today. It's all about accepting everything other than Christianity, of course. Jeremiah, when he was told to shut up, said, if I do not speak his name, if I do not mention him, then his word is like a fire, a flame in my bones, and I cannot hold it in. And he didn't, believe you me. But he suffered for it. And that's my prayer for our church, that we would feel that cry, that we would actually feel the cry of God to actually speak to others. Have you ever felt your heart burn within you as Jeremiah did? That's Jeremiah 29, 9. Have you ever stood at the foot of the holy mountain and felt the thunder, felt the fire, and felt that power of God? And as um, Isaiah also said, I saw the Lord and he was high and lifted up and seated on the throne. And the glory of his train filled the temple. These are the big pictures of our God that we need, because if we have nothing in us and we have nothing to give, how are we ever going to give it to anybody else? People need to hear the word, but they need to hear the authentic word of God with passion and with reality in our lives, not some mealy mouth thing that has no conviction whatsoever. You can't pass on what you don't have yourself. And George Whitefield, or Whitfield, as it's sometimes pronounced, again, a preacher from the past, he said of people, if you will not weep for your own souls, then I will weep for you. And so I, God willing, will preach as a dying man to a dying word, and I will weep for the souls of my friends 
and family who don't know Christ because I'm afraid we're friends we've lost away so much. We don't speak about the alternative. We don't speak about eternity. What is going to happen to the people in our village and the people we know without Christ? There's a narrow path and there's the wide path to destruction. And we want to point our friends in the direction of the path that leads to the glory of God. Because this isn't just about speaking truth, is it? It's not about reading some notes on a biblical theme or endless motivational thoughts. This is about life and death. It's about heaven and hell. It's about the sheep and the goats. It's about our lives. It's about pleading with people to take the truth of God and let it impact their lives. It's about eternity. In Acts 3.6, Peter said, I do not possess silver or gold, but what I have you, or what I have, I will give you. And we have nothing to give so often, but we have the gospel, and that is everything. And the parable of the sower, as Jane read so nicely to us, says, on that day, Jesus went out of the house, and he was sitting by the sea, and large crowds gathered to him. So he got into the boat and sat down, and the whole crowd was standing on the beach. But it starts on that day. This is that day, on that day, because we only have this day. We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. James 4.14 says, you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? If you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. And 1 Peter 1.24 says, all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls. And Psalm 90.12 says, so teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. And so to invoke an old Nike slogan, just do it. We've been blessed for decades, haven't we? Living in a country where we can live out our Christian lives untroubled by the world, we can sit in a little backwater and enjoy our church meetings. And if we trouble no one, no one will trouble us. And how often do people say, well, religion is a private thing. That's between me and God. Every place of worship that becomes extinct is a loss of the leaven in the bread that we should be feeding to the world. The task of the church, and the church is us, is to make the invisible kingdom visible. And I'm afraid it's so much invisible to the world today. The world has well and truly turned its back on God. And Jesus said the fields are white to the harvest, the laborers are few. And a dear friend of mine said only recently, what God needs are more servants to tell the world. John 3.19 says this, and this is the judgment, that the light has come into the world, and men love darkness more than light, for their deeds are evil. And truth dies in the darkness, and our job, our task, our role, is to shed light on God's word. Matthew 13 talks of the sower going out to sow. And this is the truth, is that most are without God in this world. The truth is there's only one saviour, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. The truth is that sin brings death, 
but the glory is that Jesus suffered and died for a wretched man like me. So preach the cross, because that's the good news. And when I hear of the cross being preached, then I know that God is good and that Jesus is the Savior that can bury your sins. And what people need more than anything is the presence of God. And Psalm 63.3 says, because your loving kindness is better than life. I don't know if you've ever read The Pilgrim's Progress by John Bunyan. I mean, that's an amazing book. And I used to read that to my children when they were growing up from about five years onwards. And it's the most amazing story. And John Bunyan was put in prison in Bedford Jail because he was preaching. And in those days, if you preached anything outside the Book of Common Prayer, then you were heretic. And so he was put, and whilst he was in the jail, he wrote Pilgrim's Progress. And the hero of the book is a man called Christian. And the whole story is about how he's searching um, and he's told um, you know, to, uh, about finding God and he's realizing that he's perishing he's in his sins. Uh, and there's a man who predictably uh, John Bunyan calls evangelist, speaks to him and tells him about the cross. And his neighbors think he's gone mad because he's running down the road and he's shouting out, life, life, eternal life. And he's standing by the crossroads. And evangelist says to him, why are you standing? And he says, because I know about the sin in my life. He says, so why aren't you doing something? And he said, because, sir, I don't know where to go. And that is the way today people don't know where to go. They don't know who is going to point them in the right direction. We live in this clash of creeds. There's so much information coming in on all sides from different religions and from none and from all the, the, the stuff that's going on in the world. People need some certainty. They need a bedrock. They need something where they can base their lives. Romans 10, 14 says, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? How will they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? And so we go all the way back to Matthew 13 again about the sower who went out to sow. Christ died for millions and millions of people the world over. He died for the people in our village, but most don't know it. They haven't tasted the goodness of God. Psalm 34, 8 says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. We are in the fight of our lives, I believe. Make that life count. You may get wounded in the process, and I have, and I'm sure many of you have, but we don't go alone because Christ is with us. My eldest grandson, James, is in the military and he's just got through the, the paratroopers course and he now proudly wears the red barrier, beret. And one of the, um, the words that they read to these chaps once they pass through um, is something that Theodore Roosevelt um, actually wrote. And he said, it's not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles, or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who's actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs and who comes short again and again, because there is no effort without error and shortcoming, but who actually does strive to do the deeds, who knows great enthusiasms, the great devotions, who spends himself in a worthy cause, who at the best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement, 
and who at the worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly, so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who neither know victory nor defeat. It speaks of blood and sweat and dust. Christ will bear the scars that he sustained in this life as a man for the whole of eternity. Revelation speaks of the lamb looking as if it had been slain. And in the gospel, doubting Thomas, he saw the holes and he put his hand in Christ's side where the spear had pierced him. So when we appear in glory, there Christ will be with his scars. What about us? What scars will we bear? The Battle of Agincourt, fight between the English and the French, almost 600 years ago, on the 25th of October, 1450, this took place, and it was St. Crispin's Day. <laughs> and King Henry was rallying his troops. Now, the English were hopelessly outnumbered by the French, and he wanted to give them this rousing speech to encourage them to go forth. And this is what he said. He who shall live this day and see old age will yearly on the vigil feast his neighbours and say, tomorrow is St. Christmas Day. And then he will strip back his sleeve and show his scars and say, these wounds I received on St. Christmas Day. I've got wounds here that you can't see. Only God can see those, the wounds from my life. So when we stand before God, what do we say? Lord, look at my big house. Look at that wonderful yacht I had. Look at my beautiful car. Look, wasn't I a great speaker? Look how popular I was. Look how well I did in business. Look at all the shelves I've gathered on the beach. What do we show him our scars and say, these scars, Lord, I received for you? Someone, somewhere, has to speak to others and tell them the truth of what we believe and how it can change our lives. Because that is what love is about. Corinthians says, if I speak in tongues of angels, and I have not love, I'm only a resounding gong or a symbol. We have to speak to people in love, but we have to say something. When we look back, do we remember how we were before we came to Christ? How we were pardoned? How the blood of Christ covered our sins? He's first and he's last, and he will be the last, and he is the Alpha and the Omega. Don't ever look at people and think, that person would never want to be a Christian. That person's not interested in God, because the most unlikely people are the ones that need Christ sometimes. And I think of me. And I have to say that I was probably the person that was the least likely ever to be a Christian. And it's people and everyone that just looked at me and never told me the truth of Christ. I wouldn't be here today. And yes, People did tell me, and I fought, and I argued, 
and I looked at every intellectual reason for it being a load of rubbish, and I got aggressive, and I got violent, and I'd swear. And... But in the end, just that word just reached through and just touched me. Now, just to finish, I have read this before in church, I know, but there's been some different people since. This is a poem that I wrote that sums up my life. And I wrote this in 20 minutes. Now, I've polished it a bit since, and there's been a few changes. But essentially, I wrote this poem <coughs> in 20 minutes. But someone once said to me, you didn't write that in 20 minutes, you wrote that in the whole of your life. This is what I wrote. He pursued me down the nights and down the days. He pursued me through the labyrinth of my godless ways. And through long years in mindless flight I fled, like some brute beast, that I might outrun that steady tread. On and yet still on, my mind, my very soul did run, and cursed deadly pride. In vain did I hide from the pursuing one. Then came the time the spirits called to me, awake, receive the promise of me. And then, through dimly seen and blinding bitter tears, came the realization of my wasted locust years. But in him, those years will be restored. And now, by faith, I see the undeserved love that God has poured out on me. Sovereign, encompassing all that is, Holy, majestic Son of God who lives, creator of the world, compressed in virgin birth, come down from heaven to live amongst us here on earth. Then into my heart the Spirit came, and a thousand, thousand oceans crashed and roared, but otherworldly senses soared as life, his precious life, into my dry and arid soul he poured. Now this rebellious heart of mine changed at that moment I confessed, and I stand my life stripped bare and broken at the cross, overwhelmed by his purity and his holiness. And then, O oh God, how can this be? Nailed upon that cruel cross, the saviour of the world who turns to fix his weeping eyes on me. In infinite time, my fragile frame, too weak to stand before the onslaught of that gaze, I fall and fall in steals into the everlasting arms. Now I am his, he is mine, until the end of endless time, till all the stars go out and fall into the sea, and I am crucified with Christ, the hope of glory, Christ in me. My friends, may I encourage you, if you have the opportunity to speak to your friends, family, that they might share in the joy and the glory that we know of Christ. And it's not easy. You will get scars, but don't collect pebbles and shellfish on the beach. You'll be blessed.